We're going to read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the chance now to come before your word and plead with you to make the truths we just heard uh, apply, speak, directly, poignantly to our own hearts. God, we pray that you would illuminate the scriptures for us, shine light on them so that we can see your heart, your intention, your plan, your design. God, we want to see you and, and who you are and your grace and your, your goodness and your mercy and your incredible steadfast love. God, we want to see at the same time the way you transform us by that same word. We want to see the way you change us and keep us out of slavery to fear, as we just sang. God, we, we long for that kind of redemption to be felt, what you've already accomplished. God, may we experience it. And God, in our freedom, may we walk with you and follow you, be obedient to you. God, we know all the places we seek joy outside of you are just empty promises. And so, God, we, we beg, God, we beg that we would have minds and hearts that are, are so drawn to you and the truth of who you are, God, that we would be captivated and we would follow you with all we have. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to tell you about a, a concourse, a concourse. Perhaps you know what a concourse is. It is a, a, a usually kind of a ascending place, but before you can send, you got to gather. So a, a concourse, like an airport uh, or, a, or a train station or something, is where, where everybody gets together, but for the sake of going somewhere, right? It's, a, it's an in-between spot. It's a gathering place. It's an act, one, one definition, one dictionary, an active process of coming together, but that coming together is to meet and then to pass through, to go forward, to go somewhere else. That's the purpose of a concourse. I want to tell you about this one concourse that makes up the, the image. So you can go back to that last one. Just, this is our uh, image for this series. This is the Oculus, which is at the World Trade Center uh, in New York City. So if you've uh, ever been there, maybe you were there pre-September 11th, the World Trade Center towers before they collapsed, but then after when they collapsed and they destroyed everything below them and the subway uh, you know, hub below it, they, they rebuilt it, and this is a view from inside it. Sorry, I jumped out of you. Now you can show it. This is the outside of the Oculus. This is a, so it's, a, it's, just a, it's just a train terminal, but it's incredibly beautifully built. And um, it was designed by a Spanish architect to look like a dove releasing out of somebody's hands. And so this is the inch, one entry point. Uh, from the outside, and this is what it looks like on the inside. And you can see that big ribbed part at the top there, that light. And the way they designed this, you can see on September 11th, between 8.46 a.m., which is the time the first plane 
struck the first tower. And 1028 a.m., which is when the second tower collapsed, the sun passes along that line in, in the oculus. And so that's the way they designed this incredibly beautiful building. So even not on that day, just the view from inside it, this, this, this um, terminal is just incredibly beautiful if you've ever been there. Uh, and so I wanted to point you to this terminal for a couple reasons. One, it's cool. <laughs> Uh, but two, I want you to be thinking about a concourse. I want you to be thinking about a concourse. The point really isn't, for my purposes today, is not really the, uh, the light and the design, but I just like this one. And I want you to remember it. I want you to be able to remember this concourse. If I just showed you any random train station, you'd probably forget. But this one you'll remember because it's cool. Um, and I want you to remember this because I want you to think about the purpose of a concourse. This, I want to tell you a little more about this one. This one, uh, the Oculus, this, this hub in New York City, there are 12 different subway trains you can get on from this one station. The 2 train, the 3, 4, 5, A, C, J, Z, 1, E, R, and W. You can get on all those subways. I know you wanted to know all those. That's why I told you. You could also get on the World Trade Center Path Station, which goes out to Newark and Hoboken, New Jersey. And so from that one spot, you can get to a whole bunch of places in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, etc., you could also get on one to go out to LaGuardia, the, one of the airports, or to JFK, one of the other New York City airports. And from there, you could get to anywhere in the world, basically, right? So from this one meeting spot, you could get to just about anywhere in the world. And a lot of people do, every day. Every day, over 250,000 commuters come through this one concourse, this one hub. So that's, those are the busy work days. Over a week, in a week, over a million, well over a million people pass through this one concourse every single week. That's a busy place, a busy place. People coming literally from all over the world and people going to literally all over the world. And here's why I want you to think about this particular concourse, this particular uh, place today. We as a church, as you know, Infinity, we, our mission is to applaud God, abide in Jesus Christ, and advance His kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we gather here, this, this 1030 hour on Sundays is kind of an anchor in our week. It's the time when we kind of gather all together as a faith family, and we do it for, for multi, uh, multiple different purposes. The primary one is applauding God. That's why we list that one first. So that the primary function of this room, I know we don't have stained glass windows or a steeple, but we still think of this as a sanctuary. This is a place of worship. It, it's, it's kind of a a concert hall, not in the sense that it's a show, but it's about, it's about our expression, our, our worship back to God. That's one of the reasons we gather here. In some ways, this place is like, like a prayer garden. It's a place of, of contemplation, of thinking, of being still before the Lord. In some ways, this, this room is like a, a study or, or a classroom in that we want God, through as He calls us to be disciples, we want Him to, to, to be stretching our minds and growing our understanding of Him. But I tell you, one other thing this room is like, it's like a concourse. It's a place we gather in order that we may be sent out. In order to advance the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you know me enough to know that I, I am passionate about this room, this moment, as an end in and of itself. Our worship of God is not just a means to something else. It is an ends for which we gather. We gather to, to enjoy and delight in and praise and express our worship back to God, period. That is an end in and of itself. We don't do that just for the sake of something else. And at the same time, as we do that, 
God so shapes and molds our hearts that we want to carry that worship forward into all places of the world, advancing the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a sanctuary, it's a classroom, it's a prayer garden, it's a concert hall, but it's also a concourse. It's a concourse for the sake of what's going on outside. For the month of May, I want to focus on that part of our mission statement, advancing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I I don't know about you, but there is a, a temptation I see in my own heart but I also see it in churches all over, that, that the more we grow, the more we, we, we do good things here, the focus can just be here. It can be just come to here, and that's it. But we as a church, from the very beginning of this church, long before I was here, but all along we have been beating the drum of we exist for the glory of God and the good of the nations, all peoples, all places. So as we grow and as we consider what it means to, to expand and whatever else it may be, we want to be thinking about not just here, but out there. We want to be thinking not just these four walls, but what we do throughout the rest of the week. As you leave this place, you are, you are like that, that hub, the Oculus in New York City. There are subways, okay, well, cars in our case, cars coming from all parts of our community here on a weekly basis, all around our area. And you are going back out to all kinds of places. And we want to say, why? What's the purpose? Where, where are we going? And what's the goal? And for this month, I want to focus on not just what we do here, but what we do out there for the other 167 or 66 hours a week. What are you doing out there before you return here? We want to focus on missions and outreach together. So we're calling this series Loving Our Neighbor and the Nations. Loving Our Neighbor and the Nations. Sometimes... I think one of our uh, temptations can be just to focus on one or the other. Even we're, either we're focused on people right around us and we're forgetting about the people far away or vice versa. It, it's important that we think about the literally billions of people around the globe who've never heard the name of Jesus. And it's important for us to think about the lady walking her dog through your neighborhood. Both of them matter. Both of them matter. They're different for different reasons. The person walking the dog in your neighborhood has access to the gospel. There are churches around that they probably can get themselves to. So it's different, but they still have to hear the gospel. Somebody's got to tell them. And the people on the other side of the globe who've never heard the name of Jesus, never met a Christian, they matter too. We want to be thinking, what does it mean for us to be obedient Christians in a world where that, that's the reality? The people you meet every single day don't worship Jesus. And people every single day are dying on the other side of the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus. How do we live faithfully as Christians? We love our neighbor and we love the nations. We want to put those together. And a good concourse, an international concourse, has access to both the neighbors and the nations. So let me ask you, what does it look like to love your neighbor? What does it look like to love the nations? There are endless ways you can love people. We have a little mission going on these couple weeks of teacher appreciation because we are a part of the hub as, uh, as Infinity Church for Fountain Inn churches, Fountain Inn schools. We are serving breakfast with a partnership with other, other uh, churches here at all four schools in, this, in the city limits. And that's love. A chicken biscuit says love in a very warm way, literally a very warm way at 745 in the morning when you got to go face 25 fifth graders or first graders or kindergartners. We bless you and we lead you doing great work. 
There's lots of ways you can, you can love on people. You can feed the homeless. You can pursue justice. Christians have historically been great at building hospitals and taking care of children. There are endless ways you can show love, right? Endless ways. These are biblical things. James tells us, James 2, 15, 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right? We, we have an obligation. We have a desire. We, we see people in need. God has given us the means to meet it. We meet the need. Right? And at the same time, there are grades to our love in the sense that you could, you could love somebody a little more or less. Right? So handing them a chicken biscuit is a form of love. Right? Feeding them for a week would be more. Right? There are grades. Teaching somebody how to, you know, if you, if you give somebody a, a handout, that's a, that's a gracious thing. If you train, take the effort to train somebody in a, in a skilled labor, that's going to take a lot more work, a lot more love, but a, a lot more good comes from it, you know, those kind of things. So if you, if you keep going up that ladder, not that it's not love at the bottom, chicken biscuit, that's love, all right? But if you keep going up the ladder, what's the highest? What's the highest way you could love your neighbor or the nations? Introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. I'm going to quote a few people. Jesus being most important, but I'm going to start on the bottom again, moving up. John Piper, God cares about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Here's another pastor. Evangelism is the most basic and radical ministry possible to a human being. This is not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, but because the eternal is more important than the temporal. Or let's just stick with Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's how God himself displayed love, was his own son given. So you don't have to perish, but you can have eternal life. There it is, that's the top rung of love. All the other forms of love are good. We should be doing those. Absolutely, amen. And we should not neglect the highest form of love, which is introducing people to Jesus. The passage I picked out for this morning out of 2 Corinthians 5 so, so beautifully intertwines two, two things, so much so it's hard to kind of tell where one starts and the other one stops. Those two things are, are expressing the gospel, what, what is the gospel, and then uh, uh, us being a vessel, a tool, a, a, a ministry that the gospel goes through. That's what we're getting at today. If we're going to think about how we love our neighbors and we love the nations, we want to be thinking about what, what, what's the greatest thing we can do. We can share the gospel. We can tell them the good news. Which means you've got to receive it and you've got to show it. So we're going to start with this. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I hope you can already hear those two pieces intertwined. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So if we're going to love our neighbors and the nations, we have to start here. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. To be reconciled is to have a, a relationship that is restored. There was a brokenness beforehand that has now been put back together. That is reconciliation. Reconciliation means that, that you recognize there's a problem. There's a brokenness that is then restored. Anybody, I think, can look around the world. All, everybody seems to agree on this. 
and say, it's broken. Christian or not, people look around and go, there is something wrong with the world. From wars to hurricanes, cancers to murders, stomach bugs to our tears, there's just something off. And most people can see that. Most people can see that there is a brokenness. But where we need the truth of the scriptures is to understand where that brokenness came from. And the Bible is clear that sin is the problem. Sin is what brought brokenness into the world and why we are still plagued by it. We sing Phil Wickham's song, Living Hope, uh, a fair amount here. It starts with how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. We as Christians recognize this truth that on our own, there is a separation between us and God that is so great we can never get across it. We can run and jump with all we want, and we're going to sink in the chasm. We can try to climb as high as we want to climb, but we are not going to make it over that mountain. We need help. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short. You can't jump across the chasm by yourself. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins. We cannot cross a gap because spiritually we don't have a heartbeat. We can't, we can't cross it. One of the common kind of secular age thoughts of our world is, ah, all the religions are the same. They're just different paths up the same mountain. And we as Christians say, no, 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 no. Christianity is not about a path that we walk up a mountain. Christianity is that God came down the mountain to us. And had He not come down, we would never get up. It's a very different story, a very different description of the way the world exists, as the Bible tells us. Probably one of the most important understandings is our guilt. Our guilt. What keeps us from God is our own sin. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to Himself. So God's the one taking the initiative. God's making a plan. God's coming down the mountain to us. God's crossing the chasm. And how does He do it? It says, by not counting their trespasses against them. If our sin is what creates the gap, God says, I'm not counting that against you. That sounds well and good, right? I mean, if you're the one receiving that grace, man, praise God, He's not counting it against me. But let me ask you this. If you were the one who was sinned against, would that be good news to you? Let me word it to you this way. I've got a, a great truck. It is 16 years old. It has 184,000 miles on it, I think. I like my truck. It's not great, but it's, you know, it's great. It's good enough, you know. If somebody stole it today, I'd be upset. Not because, like, it's a special, but I, I just need it for transportation. There are multiple days every week. I'm delivering four kids to three different schools. Like, I am not going to be able to put them on my back and get them where they need to go if somebody has stolen my truck, right? If somebody has sinned against me in that they have stolen my vehicle, I'm, I, you know, would like to say I forgive you but I still need transportation, right? How could, they, how, could they, how could I not count that against the thief? Well, if they replaced the truck or even like bought me a new one, you know, then I would say, you know what? I forgive you <laughs> because the debt has been paid. I now have a way to get my kids to school, <laughs> right? The, the debt, I can't just wash it under the rug. Either, either I'm carrying my kids on my back or I'm calling somebody for a favor. Like, I can't just ignore the sin. Somebody has to pay for the stolen truck. I've got a great insurance agent, so maybe she would help me out. But, I, you know, somebody's got to pay. It can't, you can't just sweep it under the rug. So how in the world can God say 
He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. Do, you, do we know the sins we've committed against God? We've committed high treason against God. Our sins are, are flagrantly in the face of our creator and sustainer and redeemer. You can't just sweep that under the rug. Somebody has to pay. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us exactly who paid. Verse 21. For our sake, He made Him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Admittedly, that is a wordy sentence. But there, is, there are few sentences in the Bible more profound and clear on what the gospel is. So it's worth another, another read. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. John MacArthur rewords that sentence this way. On the cross, God treated Christ as if He had committed all the sins of every sinner who would ever believe in Him so that He would treat every believer as if they had lived Christ's perfect life. Do you follow that? On the cross, Christ took it all, all the sin, so that you, a sinner, me, a sinner, if we believe in Christ, instead of being standing in the debt of our sins, can now have the righteousness of God, the holiness, the perfection, all, the, all that God requires and intends and desires to bless us with that we have not merited, given freely because of what Christ has done. I hesitate to use a financial metaphor because it feels cheap, but it's, it helps us, I think, and understand this. Because of our sins spiritually, we are, we are financially in an enormous debt. So far in the red, we could never dig ourselves out. We, we could never pay for what we have done. Against our perfectly holy, perfect, righteous, eternal God, we have sinned against Him. And because of that, our debt is eternal. We have an enormous amount of debt. And then, Christ, Jesus, when He came and lived the earth, He lived a perfectly righteous life. The only one who lived a perfectly righteous life. In addition to having been present with and eternally loving the Heavenly Father for all of eternity past. So he has perfect righteousness, meaning he has a billionaire's billionaire's account, far, far higher in the black, far more in the positive than anybody else in the world could ever exist. That's what Jesus has. We have the exact opposite. And on the cross, Jesus switched accounts. He switched accounts with us. To be clear, it's worth being specific here. Jesus did not sin. He did not become a sinner, but he took on our sin. Theologians use the word imputed, not imparted. Jesus did not, be, he did not become a sinner, but he took on the debt and the punishment and the wrath that we deserve, and he credited to our account his own righteousness. It was a switch. He was sinless, but he became our substitution. He took on the sin and the punishment we deserved. And for all who would ever believe, he says, it is finished the righteousness of God given to all who would believe. That's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. He made him who knew no sin. Uh, he, he, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means for sin to be paid for. That's the only way God can reconcile us to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. That's the only way it is possible. And that's because that verse, verse 19, starts with, in Christ. We have been united to him. That's where it comes from. That's the only way we can be freed. The only way we can be reconciled to God, the only way we can be in his presence, the only way we can be a part of his family is that we are counted to be in Christ, in him, united to him. I was kind in only selecting verse 20 as your memory verse for the month, but stick with 21 too. Hold on to that one. Meditate on that one. Because there is a depth of exploration, a lifetime's worth in that. Praise God. So up to this point, I've only been pointing you to the places in this passage that talk about the gospel. But I hope you even see as I'm reading them and trying to use certain phrases out of certain verses that this passage is about more than that. Not that we ever move on past the gospel, but the gospel has implications for our life. If we recognize the debt that's been paid, if we recognize the way God has reconciled us, then you can't be the same after that. It will change you. It will transform you. It will change the way you look at your neighbor and the nations. And one of the reasons I like this passage so much for today is that they're so intertwined. You, you can't really figure out where one stops and the other one starts. Verse 18 starts with your reconciliation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There's the gospel to you. And then immediately switches to you being a vessel and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. No, no, no period. Just keeps going. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. There's the gospel. And entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. There's you being a vessel. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for God. This time it starts with your job. Making God making his appeal through us. What's that appeal? The description of how the reconciliation, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Back and forth, back and forth we see this. Be reconciled to God. And if you have been reconciled to God, be a vessel. Be an ambassador. Be used mightily of God. So that's my invitation for you today. Be reconciled to God. And for all those who have been reconciled to God, be ambassadors of reconciliation for Christ. If you have the first, it will just, it just has to. It just oozes forward. We are called to be ambassadors for, for Jesus Christ. Whether you know it or not, being a Christian is also a job description. Do you like work? Do you like good work? This is good work. This is a good job description. When you are saved, it is something done for you. God has done something, accomplished something for you. But he didn't just save you and put you on a shelf to look at. He saved you and brought you into the team. You've got a mission. You get to be a part of his kingdom. You get to be sent out as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation. Did you know that you're a minister? Sometimes I know it's kind of maybe old language. You don't, you, maybe you call me a pastor. Some people think of me as a minister. But right back at you. You are a minister too. You are ministers of reconciliation. Over the next few weeks of the series, we'll distinguish that, that I, I think the best terminology is not to call us all missionaries, because I think missionaries, we, we want to see, see the, the importance of carrying the gospel across certain lines, certain boundaries. So somebody cross, carries the gospel to a, a group of people across a cultural line or a linguistic barrier or some kind of political border, 
So a place that has, from the place that has the gospel to a place that doesn't have the gospel, that's a missionary. Okay? But you, so you, if you aren't doing that, I wouldn't call you a missionary. doesn't mean you're any less important. You're a minister. You're a minister of the gospel. You're a minister of reconciliation. We're all missionaries. I mean, we're all, we're all ministers. We're not all missionaries. We can all be evangelists. We can all practice outreach. And so you have an important job to do. You have an opportunity to know people that may not know any other Christians, at least not deeply. You probably interact with people on a daily basis, and you are the most Christian person they know. That's an opportunity that's unique to you. You are a minister of reconciliation. God has given us, God calls us to this job of ambassador. That's the word I want to give you today, being an ambassador. We probably have a general idea of the role of an ambassador, do we not? An ambassador from the United States to China is somebody who is an American citizen. This is their home. This is the place that is their country. But they go and serve in a different country to represent their home country, right? So they don't live in the home country, but they represent their home country to another place. It's an official job and it's an official assignment that's been given somebody to somebody. And their job is about the relationships between the two countries. But they're living in the one that's not theirs. Right? That's what a missionary does. I mean, a, an ambassador does. The word Paul used here for ambassador, it's a, sim a similar type, type job description in the first century world. A little bit different in that the Roman Empire of the time was, was colonizing, taking over every country around the Mediterranean Sea. So eventually these, these smaller nations started to wisen up like, hey, that, that Roman government, when they send the, the, the Roman army here, they usually win. So they came up with a better plan. We're going to send a whole envoy of ambassadors to Rome before the army gets here. And that, that envoy of ambassadors, their job was to be a, a, a team, a ministry of making peace. Say, hey, we're coming. Let's figure out some kind of deal. Where, where you and us, so we don't have to fight battles. We don't want to lose our life. How can we work something out where, where we don't have to have bloodshed? There doesn't have to be death. There was a dangerous, dangerous job. Lives were on the line. It was high stakes. But they had the job of bringing peace in the middle of brokenness. Where there was a threat of no peace, a threat of major, major damage, that ambassador, that envoy of ambassadors, their job was to find a way forward of peace. God, in verse 19, has given us a similar job. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. We go forth with a message of peace, and lives are on the line. We have something to communicate, and it is a message about how the, the coming uh, of Christ to return to this earth it is a promise and we want to be ready. We want to bring peace. A common quote frequently attributed to Francis of Assisi, and we don't think he even said this, but the quote is something like this, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. You heard that? Makes a good Facebook meme, you know. Problem is, one, I don't think he said it, but uh, second problem is the gospel can't be proclaimed without words. God used a lot of words. Jesus, when he preached, he absolutely, and I get the point of the quote, like you're just trying to live out the gospel. We should. We should live out. Our life should match the gospel. But we have a message. If you show up from some little kingdom and around the Mediterranean and just wear a, a, a pin on your shirt to the Roman Empire and just smile real big, 
They're going to think you're weird. And they're going to go destroy your country. Right? An ambassador has a message to communicate. Jesus preached. Paul preached. Peter preached. There is a message to deliver. As ambassadors, if we never tell the message, we haven't fulfilled our job. We have a job. We have a message to communicate. If you know the beautiful good news of the gospel, what keeps you from sharing it? Sometimes we think fear is the thing. Many times, though, it's deeper than that. It's lack of love. If we truly loved our neighbor, if we truly loved the people we're around, if we truly loved the people on the other side of the world, we'd want to share the good news with them. If you know it, you got to share it. As ambassadors of reconciliation, my challenge to you is this. Have one spiritual conversation this week. One spiritual conversation with somebody who doesn't already know Jesus or come to our church. It's not a bad idea to have a spiritual conversation with your spouse, so if you want, you know, but if they're already here, I'm, t- I'm saying, can you take one step out and have one spiritual conversation about something related to the Lord, related to God's Word, with somebody who doesn't already seem to be a sold-out Christian for the Lord? Maybe it starts with just knowing a little of the things that are going on in their lives, right? It's about love. So do you know what's going on in their life? And can you ask them, could you pray for them? Rarely do people turn down prayer, right? How, how can I pray for you this week? Or if you know something specific, hey, I want to be praying for you know, your mom as she's going through this, or your kids, I know they're having a hard time with this. What, can I, I want to be praying for them this week. Maybe you want to pray with them right there and just see how God opens the door from there. How might God give you an opportunity to have spiritual conversations so that you can be an ambassador who delivers a message of the good news of Jesus Christ? You have a message. Are we looking for opportunities to tell it? In some ways, it is easier to travel across the globe and share a message and return home because those people don't see how you live, right? We have a harder time because the people in your house, the people in your job, the people who drive behind you on Monday mornings, they all see the way you're living your life. And so we've got to be people who are ambassadors in word, but also in deed. You represent the king, whether you like it or not. If you wear the, the badge of I'm a Christian, you represent Christ wherever you go. And so your, your sins and my sins are sins against God, but there are also ways that we are not loving our neighbor because we're hurting our witness. Do we practice, do we live out our ambassadorship in what we say and in what we do? We are ambassadors representing the citizen, our, our true citizenship in heaven to the people around us here on this earth. We have been given an assignment. Right now it's right here, right? And one day, like all ambassadors, our job will be done and we'll be called home. But until then, we have a, a, a mission. We have an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. He has sent you where He sent you for a reason. When your time is done, God will let you know. But until then, you still have a mission. The question is, do you, will you share your mission? Will you, will you be intentional? Will you be proclaiming the good news of, of the gospel? One of the, one of the frequent images throughout the Bible is a, a picture of being exiles. We, we don't belong here. We're from a different place. But the picture of ambassador means we're exiles on purpose. We may not have been sent right where we are by our own intentions, 
But God has put you there for a reason. An ambassador is sent to a nation for a specific reason. And you know, I mean, this is, this is crazy. 21st century, why do we still send people to China? Couldn't we send them an email? You know? Couldn't we just record a video? You could put it on YouTube like that in China. Wouldn't they get the message? Ambassadors are about relationships. It's about face-to-face. And in our digital age, there's probably no more important piece of this. It's about sharing the message in a personal way. You are sent to a certain group of people, a certain people at work or certain people on the ball fields that that nobody else is going to interact with. And you can be developing relationships, planting seeds, sowing the good news of the gospel in ways that only you can. You're an ambassador. How you live your life matters. The message you declare matters as you build relationships and you love people. We serve as ambassadors in a long line of ambassadors. Somebody told you the gospel. Somebody told that person the gospel. Somebody brought the gospel from Europe over to the the Americas at some point. Somebody from the Middle Eastern world told the the people in Europe the gospel at some point. The people in the Middle Eastern world, they they got it from people like Paul who wrote this letter in Corinth. And Paul got the message from Jesus. And he was the ultimate ambassador. Jesus told, uh, told his disciples, John 20, 21, As the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus was sent by the Father. And he sent out disciples who told somebody, who told somebody, who told you. We are ambassadors in a long line of ambassadors, all pointing back to the glory of the first ambassador, Jesus Christ. Are you his ambassador? If you're a Christian, you are. The question is, how how well are we carrying out his message? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a job. Thank you for a mission. Thank you for a task. Thank you that you have not just saved us and made us trophies on your shelf, but you've given us a part to play in your kingdom. God, you could have done it any way you wanted. Some days we feel like we've had better ideas, but we trust that you really are wise in saving us, redeeming us, and sending us out as your people. Father, I pray that this week you would help us see the opportunities before us to share the good news with our neighbors. God, we confess there are so many times we don't, we don't even look for the opportunity, much less pass over it. And so, God, I pray that our eyes will be opened and that you would give us a deep, abiding love for those around us so that we can share this message of good news, that we can be saved, we can be reconciled. God, you made a way for our sins to be paid for, and you gave us the righteousness of your own son. Praise God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.